right, welcome everybody to the Big Dudes in the Trenches podcast. I am Thug, joined by Tug today. No Doug, he is uh, he's with family getting ready for Thanksgiving this week. And, uh, you know, no, no need to worry, he will be back with us. Uh, in our episode later this week, uh, Tug, I don't think you'll be there though, so how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. I think we've got some uh, fun stuff lined up for today's episode. Episode 100, man. I can't believe we've made it this far. It's been a uh, it's been a journey for sure, and we've got something really fun lined up for you guys later. Absolutely. So, what do you say we get into it? Oh, let's do it, man. All right. So, our first news story, as is tradition, as Doug likes to say, we are primarily a Bears podcast. It's not entirely true. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, but as Doug likes to say, primarily Bears podcast here, Chicago Bears, of course, not the Baylor Bears. And we're starting in the NFL. Uh, Justin Fields sustained a rib injury on Sunday against the Ravens and had to leave the game, put him in a pretty tough spot, and then Andy Dalton comes in. I wrote plenty about my frustrations with how the game went with Fields in and then with Dalton in later. Uh, We're not going to focus on that game specifically. But what this rib injury does bring is that Andy Dalton is likely to start the Thanksgiving game. It's been all but 100% confirmed at this point. What are your thoughts on this, I guess, to start us off here? Well, from one fan of a team with a young quarterback and a terrible line to another, these rib injuries are not fun, my dude. Um, I hope I hope Fields is okay. Um, and ultimately, he's going to be. Uh, definitely recoverable. Uh, and when it comes down to it, I think the news that is also coming out with the Bears this week is something worth more talking about than who their starting quarterback is against the Detroit Lions on Thanksgiving. And I think, obviously, the fact that Doug is an Ohio State fan, I'm a Bears fan, Justin Fields has been one of the bigger stories to follow as far as rookie quarterbacks. Mac Jones is having a great year. Zach Wilson has been hurt for a lot of the year. And Trevor Lawrence has kind of just been Trevor Lawrence. Haven't really seen a lot of Trey Lance. You know, the Bears have worked their way into the conversation as far as being reportable about in that regard by itself. Bigger story has been that uh, Matt Nagy's not very popular uh, to the point that even this past weekend in IHSA high school football playoffs, uh, the opposing student section of the game his son was playing in started chanting fire Nagy as well. The school then issued an apology for that. But it doesn't stop there. This is happening at Bulls games, and there's reports coming out that an overwhelming number of players want Nagy fired. And this is coming from a co-host of a podcast. Uh, his co-host, by the way, is Alan Robinson. So yep. it's not looking very good on that front. Then you factor in today on Tuesday at time of recording here. Uh, it's all but been confirmed that Matt Nagy is going to be fired after the Thanksgiving game. I've got a few opinions on this. Uh, first, to talk about the speculation here, Nagy says, you know, this hasn't happened, none of this happened. That was in a press conference earlier in the day. Later in the day, after practice, he canceled all of his meetings. So the Bears can't even get a firing right. You know, firing somebody midseason, this is a first for them. But this is an all-time low for the Chicago Bears organization. Like, this is an absolute clown show. Almost embarrassed to be a fan of the Bears at this point. Going forward, looking at Thursday, looking at the Thanksgiving game, why do you keep this guy around if you know you're going to fire him? You, you already just said it there. You're playing on a Thursday. Um, I'm not going to sit there and on Tuesday, at the time of recording, 
uh, I mean, I guess technically Wednesday at the time of recording, uh, I'm not going to fire my coach and then expect the interim to come in and coach a good game on the Thursday, um, especially against a rival like the Detroit Lions. Um, it It's an in-division rivalry, even if it's not a very competitive rivalry. And, and I'm, not, I'm not even concerned about it being a competitive rivalry. Matt Nagy's probably not going to win this game with you know reports that he's basically lost the locker room. Why wait? And I, I do understand you know having a little bit of extra time, but if you're canceling meetings, and I don't know if these were team player meetings, whatever it was, but you're you're canceling all this stuff anyway, you're kind of already out anyway. So who cares if somebody comes in and is underprepared? You you're zero and four out of the bye week. You had two weeks to prepare for the Ravens, who didn't have Lamar Jackson, who didn't have Hollywood Brown. Yeah. You still couldn't get it done. It's I, I see where you're coming from, um, but at the same time, from a, a team ownership standpoint, not just a why are we still keeping this dude standpoint, you're right. If all was right in the world, he would have been fired before the bye week um, because you had justification to do so well before then. But if this is when you made the decision based on that Ravens game, I'm not making that decision two days before my next game. Uh, I'm going to sit there and say, hey, this is where we're leaning. This is probably going to happen, but I'm not going to fire him right then because I'm just setting my team up for failure as an owner, and that's that's one thing you can't do. Um, so, you know, one more game, so be it. It's not like LSU with Coach O and saying, hey, in week three, at the end of the season, we're going to, to part ways here. I'll take, you know, one more game with it. By Friday, you guys should have an interim head coach. Um, and then, honestly, I'm still a fan of midseason firings because that gives you and the Bears a head start on the uh, coaching search so that way you can hopefully find somebody before Black Monday even rolls around. And I would argue they should have fired him after the Ravens game. They shouldn't have even waited till Monday. They should have fired him Sunday night. And that's really kind of the biggest issue with all this that I have. But there's more to talk about in the NFL than just the Chicago Bears. Thank God. (laughs) There were a couple running backs waived. Phillip Lindsay was waived by the Texans. And Adrian Peterson, who was brought in kind of on an emergency basis for the Tennessee Titans, he's also been waived. Interesting developments there. Not really anything huge, though. Neither of those guys. I mean, Phillip Lindsay had a few good seasons, but Adrian Peterson's certainly passed his prime. There's there's beat reporters out of Miami calling for Miami to sign Philip Lindsay, which honestly, given their situation right now, is not a terrible idea. I'm just not really on board with the idea of bringing in a running back this late in the season for what I still see is mostly a lost season, although Miami has turned it around. I don't see the benefit of bringing in Lindsay at this point um, because you know what? We've been making it work with what we have because the defense has finally showed up this year. Uh, and there's frustrations I could talk to everybody for hours on with that, uh, with some of the news reports coming out about it. Yeah, you're right. None of these are, are breaking news stories that are really worth spending a ton of time on, but definitely some highlights in there. I think the last thing I want to talk about in the NFL before we start getting into some other news going on in this week in the world of football, the officiating is at an all-time low to, to a point where a bad call – yeah, it was a def- it was a defensive pass interference in the Bears game. Should have been defensive holding if you're gonna call anything. Made me turn off the game for probably forty five minutes. 
And then that's not the worst call. Well, that was not the that worst was call not the, the worst weekend. call at all. Uh, the one we're specifically talking about is in the Cowboys Chiefs game. Cowboys defender rips off the Chiefs player's helmet by the face mask. The Chiefs are initially called for taunting because he pointed at the Cowboys player on the ground while he is holding his helmet in his hand. And and they eventually called the face mask, but it's. It's just ridiculous, and this is just a small sample. There were horrible calls that were making me mad about games I didn't even care about all day. That's just the highlight of it. They've made taunting such an emphasis that they're not paying attention to the rest of what is going on in the games. You and I have had this conversation plenty of times, plenty of times. I cannot stand this idea that the NFL every year puts out these emphasis item penalty calls that they then overcall for the entire season. This year it's taunting. Last year it was roughing the passer. Um, two years ago it was pass interference. Two years ago it was pass interference when it was reviewable that they then never overturned, even in clear situations. Um, NFL, just tell your refs to enforce the rules as they're written. Um, you know, USA Hockey's figuring this out too, and somehow they, without video review, have figured it out for the most part. It's not that hard, guys. Just the rules are written. There's no rule that is more important than another. Do not emphasize one over another, especially if it's as small as taunting to the point where me looking at another sideline is going to get me a taunting call. Absolutely ridiculous. But like I said, we got other news to talk about. And before we get into college news, we actually do have some big non-NFL pro news. Hey. Uh, I think it was last episode, maybe two episodes ago, we talked about some of the things that had been rumors about the USFL had been confirmed uh, via Fox Sports. Now, the USFL, you know, one of the things I talked about was they don't have teams, they don't have players, they don't have coaches. Some of that's starting to work out, at least in the teams and maybe a little bit of the coaches department. USFL, they applied for all these different trademarks for original USFL team names and branding. They have their eight teams for this season. The North Division is going to be the Michigan Panthers, New Jersey Generals, Philadelphia Stallers, and Pittsburgh Maulers. And the South Division is going to be the Birmingham Stallions, Houston Gamblers, New Orleans Breakers, and the Tampa Bay Bandits. Now, they're going to keep those names. They're going to have all that branding. But this is still planning on taking place in one singular city, at least for this season. Uh, looking, again, still like it's going to be Birmingham, Alabama. Right now, though, no confirmation one way or another. When I've mentioned coaches, Wade Phillips has been tied very closely to the Houston Gamblers. Hopefully, we'll have an answer on if he is going to be the first coach of the Houston Gamblers in this USFL rebirth. I know Doug has already kind of picked the Houston Gamblers as his team. Do you have a team in mind, Doug, or Tug? Uh, looking at this, uh, I, ooh, I'm i stuck between two. Uh, so back in the uh, XFL, uh, I'm sorry, the AAF. Sorry, it was the AAF. I was a Birmingham Iron fan uh, just by choice. Um, so I'm, oh, I'm tempted with the Birmingham Stallions, but I'm also kind of tempted to go close to that that hometown for the first time ever in my life and uh, take the New Jersey uh, Generals here. Mm. I'm going to withhold that. I'm going to say I'm between those two here moving forward. Uh, But I'm going to withhold my final decision here until I I see more about both teams. 
And because none of these teams have Memphis in the name, I'm going to do my standard and just wait to see what team ends up getting the most University of Memphis players on their roster. (laughs) We're going to keep an eye on when they're going to have some type of player draft, what other coaches are going to be linked to the USFL, and we will definitely be talking about them more in the future. But for right now, that's all we got. I will go ahead and say that if Coach O picks up the New Orleans Breakers, I will be a a New Orleans Breakers fan. That is... I will make that that uh, guarantee now uh, because Coach O needs to coach nowhere other than in the state of Louisiana. I 100% agree because I don't think anybody outside the state of Louisiana can understand him. And I will make that. I will, I will challenge myself with that if, if that happens. Moving on to college news, though, we talked a little bit, too, about how we didn't know how Dan Mullen hadn't been fired yet. Well, it has happened, and... Part of it was, too, that Dan Mullen just decided to step away. He didn't want to be a distraction for the upcoming Florida FSU game this weekend. And he's out at Florida. No word on who their interim head coach is. Even if they have said, that's really not the big story here. It seems that Billy Napier has been pretty linked to taking over as the Florida head coach here in the near future. Again, something we're just going to have to keep an eye on be interesting to see Napier coaching in the SEC again. I'm interested to see where they go with this, and I wonder if he's going to be able to get Florida back up to a respectable level. Do you know where Dan Mullen's next head, uh, next coaching job is? Not head coaching job. Next coaching job is the Nick Saban School of Coaching Rehabilitation, sir. Sounds about right. This wasn't the only firing, though. Troy also fired their head coach, Chip Lindsey. Man, I, I don't know a ton about Troy. Uh, this kind of hurts not having Doug here. He is kind of our college football expert. To me, though, in the Sun Belt, if you're struggling that much, it's a conference that's pretty strong. And if you're not making moves, you got to start trying. And the Sun Belt, the American, they've all kind of been positioning themselves to kind of supplant uh, themselves as a conference, as the Power Six conference there. You know, the American, obviously, with the Power 6 branding, I think the Sun Belt has a legitimate shot at doing that. Uh, but Troy is definitely holding the whole conference back in that regard. And I think it's a good move to help better not only Troy, but better the conference. This is kind of surprising here. And I say kind of surprising because the win uh, this weekend here coming up gives grants them bowl eligibility, and that's usually not where I'm expecting a group of five coach to be fired. Generally speaking, that's the expectation. Um, unless you're one of those higher-profile programs, your Memphis's, your Cincinnati's. A um, couple bad losses will land you a firing, but hey, you know, one more win here, and with an interim head coach, you're going to a, going to a bowl game. We're going to talk about two players who had especially fantastic weekends. We're talking, of course, first about Chris Olave, passing Dave Boston for career touchdown catches at Ohio State. His new record that he set this past weekend against Michigan State was is at sitting at 35, and he'll have a chance to elevate that even more against Michigan in the game later this week. Not only this week, he's got the Big Ten champ, championship game, and at the very least, one bowl game. Uh, maybe a college football playoff game and a college football national championship game. 
Yeah, it, do, it does say career catches. It doesn't say anything about being in the regular season or anything yeah. like that. So he, he's definitely got a lot of opportunity to get this. I would imagine he could get this up to 40 without any issue. Before we get into our next uh, freshman student athlete here, and I'm highlighting freshman student athlete because I'm going to highlight C.J. Stroud, who had a career day uh, in the first half against Michigan State. Absolutely insane. Has with that first-half performance, you talk all the time about how Johnny Manziel won the Heisman based on one game, and C.J. Stroud just put himself in position uh, as the number one favorite for the Heisman going into this week as the betting odds favorite. Um, but now he also going into a rivalry game for a Big Ten championship berth. Uh, so for me, C.J. Stroud is having a stellar year and might even give himself that... Uh, that option to win the Heisman based off one or two games performance. Absolutely. The other freshman we're talking about though is Bryce Young, who broke Alabama's school record for passing yards in a game with 559 yards. Absolutely insane. He did that against Arkansas in a game that was very entertaining. And really, if you saw the score and saw how the game went most of the way, you would be surprised that this is, what ended up happening in the game. Alabama, I I feel like Alabama won this one pretty handily, but it also felt like they might have snuck away with one a little bit too. If if you had told me going into this week that Bryce Young would need 559 yards to win by seven points against Arkansas, I probably would have laughed at you as much as I want Arkansas to win. But, man, that is how that game turned out. Arkan, K.J. Jefferson is no joke. Also a freshman this year. Um, oh, that Arkansas team is something else to look out for. Uh, and yes, I'm pulling ESPN here. We're talking about Bryce Young, so I hijacked it and uh, talked about another quarterback I wanted to. Enough of that. Enough about players. Let's talk about teams, though. Our BDT trench ratings are updated after this past week of college football. If this is not validation of the BDT trench ratings, looking at the college football playoff top 10 here, looking at our BDT trench ratings... I really don't know what is. There's only one glaring difference for me here, um, especially in the top four. This is – guys, I can't tell you how, how excited I am to see how accurate this is right now. And I'm sure there's going to be people that see these and still say, oh, man, you got UTSA way too high. They're at six, by the way. But to those people, I say, who have they lost to? And the answer is nobody, so get off of it. Going from 10 on down, at 10 we have Appalachian State, 9 Wisconsin, 8 Oklahoma State, 7 we have Alabama, who of course is still in the top 4 of the college football playoff ranking because it's Alabama. Okay, so two glaring differences. 6 we have the aforementioned UTSA, then at 5 we have Notre Dame, 4 we have Michigan, 3 we have Cincinnati, 2 Ohio State, and number 1, as it has been most of the season, is Georgia and that's right, Ohio State jumped two spots to get to number two, while Michigan fell two spots. So heading into the game this week, it's going to be really interesting to see how that shakes up our ratings here. Really, the winner of that is going to end up in the top four, and the loser will probably be in the top ten, depending on how close the game ends up being. Uh, but all that's really going to have to – we're really going to have to wait and see how that all plays out there. Well – Regardless of who wins here, I really don't see Ohio State dropping too far in our in our BDT trend ratings. You're right. The top four for the college football playoff, 100%. Whoever wins this game this weekend is going to be in that number two spot. Um, 
that being said, I'm going to come in and give us our college football top 10 and add some other things that we took of note here. Uh, so number one college football playoff is Georgia. I know, surprise, surprise. Number two is Ohio State. I love the uh, symmetry here uh, between our two polls. Uh, number three for the college football playoff is Bama. Number four is Cincy. Finally getting some love. First ever non-Power 5 team in the top four. With an asterisk because Notre Dame. Yeah. <laughs> number five is Michigan. Number six is Notre Dame. Number seven is Oklahoma State. You got uh, Baylor at eight. Ole Miss at nine and Oklahoma at ten. It's really looking difficult for anybody really past number six, in my opinion, to make it into yep. the college football playoff. Oklahoma State being at seven is really the only one I see That's having the, the best chance of getting in. So They're going to need some help, though. And the help they need is a Cincinnati loss. Or, let me rephrase, a Cincinnati close game. If Oklahoma State beat, beats Oklahoma this week and then in the um, Big 12 championship, Big 12 championship game, they beat Baylor. Or if Baylor loses this weekend, they beat Oklahoma again in the Big 12 championship game. Oklahoma State is my going to be my number four based on my expectations for the college football playoff, not what I think should personally happen. That being said, Ben, you got to love this, man. I'm looking at this, and I'm seeing three group of five teams in the top 25 in the college football playoff, and that is exciting to see. Uh, so you got UTSA at number 22. Uh You've got Houston at number 24, and then the committee is back to doing committee things, giving Clemson uh, back in the rankings at number 23 on a three-loss season, or are they on a two-loss right now? I believe they're on three losses. And then Arkansas is pulling up the rear as a four-loss number 25. And that's coming off a game that, like we talked about a little bit earlier, was much better against Alabama than I think anybody really thought would happen. If you didn't watch that game, you need to go look at more than just the highlights because it was it was pretty impressive. I can't I can't sit here and really quantify it, but it was it was quite impressive. So man, I don't know what the college football playoff polls are gonna end up being. I don't know what magic they're gonna end up doing. But right now things are looking very interesting, very exciting time to be a college football fan. And if you're sitting here saying, man, I don't want to see Georgia versus Cincinnati because Cincinnati's going to get blown out, I implore you to watch the Peach Bowl last year and uh, get back to me on that. <laughs> man, I'm excited. So moving right along into our game reviews, we'll start off in college as we always do. My game, I said I was going to be there. Uh my son got sick the day before, and so we kind of just decided probably better to just stay home knowing what the weather was going to be like in Lubbock. <clears throat> and as far as going to uh, watch the Red Raiders have any type of decent game, uh, we made the right decision to stay home because Oklahoma State won this one 23 to nothing. And, man, this is a Big 12 team with a real defense. They hadn't allowed an offensive touchdown on like 22 quarters, I think, or maybe it was Texas Tech hadn't scored one in 22 quarters. Either way, Texas Tech couldn't get anything done on offense. And, man, going into Bedlam, the Pokes have all the momentum. Oklahoma is fighting for their lives. I don't see how Oklahoma is going to win this upcoming week. And, man, 
watching how the defense shut down Texas Tech all day, watching how the offense was doing pretty much whatever they wanted to, Bedlam's going to be very interesting. So, you know, great game. Doug's game, though. Man, so... He went to this game. Doug was Doug did actually go to this game. And like he said he was going to. And Ohio State beat Michigan State 56-7. to Now, 56-7 to sounds like a familiar score. It's because it's the same score that Georgia had over Charleston Southern, who is a four-win FCS opponent. And uh, you can't sit here and tell me that Georgia's win is impressive and say that Ohio State's win wasn't. Because not only did a Heisman favorite get held to 25 yards, talking about Kenneth Walker the third, but they were the number seven team in the country, and they put up that amount of points against Ohio State. This wasn't even close. Honestly, I don't see how Michigan is going to have any shot this next week either. Two teams in a row that are absolutely rolling going into rivalry weekend. It's going to be an exciting week of college football this upcoming week. As Tug already talked about, C.J. Stroud is looking absolutely amazing. And if he doesn't win the Heisman after that performance, especially if he has a similar performance this week, Something might be wrong with the Heisman committee there. But, Tug, we got one game left. Oregon against Utah. I got to give it to you guys. You picked Utah to win. And I I didn't because I thought Oregon would win. Utah won 38-7. And they dominated this entire game. Utah is up. 21 to nothing with nine seconds left in the first half. Called a timeout to force an Oregon punt and then returned it for a touchdown to go up 28 nothing at the half. Scored an extra 10 points and were able to hold the Ducks to only 10 to only seven rather. Man, Utah turned it on. If they had been playing this way the whole year, we'd probably be talking about them in the top four. Yeah, this is a classic Pac-12 matchup, too. That And that's what happened. You never know what to expect when two Pac-12 teams get together, and this is the epitome of that. You know, Utah's had their ups and downs this year. Uh, Oregon has had their ups this year, minus their, uh, what was it, Stanford that they lost to previously in the season? Um, but, man, Utah came out with a force this year, which made me laugh because uh, – ESPN College Game Day's Bear uh, actually had that as one of his basically upsets of the week was Oregon coming over Utah because Utah was favored in this game. Uh, Bear, you were you were very, very wrong, and Utah came out from the beginning and showed why that was the case. I will, I will say this. you know, I, We'll move straight on into our picks here. All of us picked Oklahoma State. All of us picked Ohio State. I was the only one that didn't pick Utah, and that's because I did think Oregon was a better team. It was not simply because I wanted to be different for once, uh, and that still didn't do me any good. I made it <laughs> back to 500 at least. Hey. You and Doug both went 3-0. and Utah absolutely showed that they were the better team, and I don't think there's any denying that now. I am glad to see that the college football playoff committee didn't decide to do something crazy and keep Cincinnati out of the top four. But, hey, this is where we stand right now. And 
man, it was a great week of college football. What do you say we get into some bonus games here? I mean, let's do it, and I'm going to express my frustration about why Air Force took three overtimes to beat Nevada. Uh, But here we are. Um, Do I need to say what annoys me about this? It's my coach. You know it's my coach. I know it's my coach. But, hey, we pulled out the win. At least we're not going to get into a bowl game with only six wins on the season. Getting into a bowl game with six wins is better than not getting into a bowl game at all. But that's Disagree, because then maybe we would fire our coach. You wouldn't fire him for missing a bowl game one year. Yeah, I wish we would. Next up is Wake Forest losing to Clemson, and not just losing, getting blown out by Clemson. This is probably what elevated Clemson back into the top 25, because I, I thought Wake Forest had a, a legitimate claim to being in the top four of the college football playoff. And but you this. can't lose to Clemson like this, especially at this point in the season. Final score was forty-eight to twenty-seven. Wake Forest or Clemson, rather, and uh, man, it was just ugly from the get-go. Yeah, dude, it really was. Uh, Wake Forest was overmatched, and hey, I'm going to give you your congratulations. You were right. The ACC championship uh, champion will have at least two losses now. What did I say? I've been saying it for like three weeks at this point. Other fun ones, we had Louisiana beating Liberty 42-14. to We talked a little bit about the Arkansas-Alabama game. Final score of that one was 42-35 to in favor of Alabama. This was a fantastic game, and it really shows how far Arkansas has come. Me and Doug, I don't remember if we talked about it on the podcast last week or just separately. Arkansas has got to get away from the play calling where they – They've been used to being the less talented team. That's clearly not the case anymore. They hung with Alabama all game, gave them all they could handle, had opportunities to win, and I love the fake uh, fake field goal that they converted for a touchdown. But that's about the extent of trick plays I want to see from a legitimate college football team, and that's what Arkansas is at this point. They need to get into that mindset. With Sam Pittman and K.J. Jefferson, they're well on their way. I expect to see the Razorbacks – possibly sneaking into some top 10, top four conversations in the next couple of years. Another fun one we had, UTSA stayed undefeated, which is probably why they're in the top 25 where they are. But they won this one on a touchdown tipped pass as time expired to beat the UAB Blazers 34-31. to And then finally, the final nail in the coffin for Dan Mullen. A 24-23 loss to Missouri in overtime where Mizzou went for two, wanted to end it, and they got it. And uh, Missouri not only won that game, they won bowl eligibility and cost Dan Mullen his job. Man, it's just uh, I hate seeing Missouri win. Yeah, but Dan Mullen needed out, and this is what they needed to happen to make that happen. So it's tough, man. It's been a down year for Gators fans, and it's – it's got to be brutal right now to be a University of Florida fan. Uh, hopefully they find their way, f- their way forward. Only time will tell. I will say that we are heading into rivalry weekend. And we, oh, my God. How could we, how could we ignore a rivalry that, uh, that took place this week, especially after doing the greatest college football rivalry bracket last Two of year? Them. Two of them. The biggest one I'm looking at is UCLA-USC. UCLA winning this one 62-33. to you know, it's just not a, it's not a, 
a game that really would catch anybody's eye. USC has had several issues yep. this season. And, uh, man, you know, we didn't have this one written on here for that reason, but I could not talk about such a classic rivalry, especially with uh, rivalry weekend itself coming up this week. But the two you're talking about are in the FCS. We'll go straight there. Harvard at Yale. Harvard pulls this one out with a three-point victory, 34-31. to 31. And then Lafayette and Lehigh, or Lafayette and Lay. That's La- the oldest rivalry in college football, isn't it? I believe it? it is. Lehigh, Lay, whatever you want to say, they <laughs> win it 17-10. to 10. You did not mean to rhyme there, but you are so happy that you did. No, I totally did that on purpose. <laughs> okay. What are you talking about? <laughs> Bill and Nova continuing their dominance in the FCS. They win 21-13 to 13 over Delaware. Again, I've said this a few times. Delaware can't win in the big spots, it seems like, of late. This is just another example of it. Mercer losing 35-38 to at ETSU. And then rounding it out, Eastern Kentucky wins 39-31 to in double overtime. And I think we'll talk more about the college football playoff, the real college football Division I playoffs here later in the week. But, man, those polls or that bracket has been released. We've talked about the Missouri Valley. We don't have any Missouri Valley games here, but we've talked about the Missouri Valley ad nauseum, I feel like, when talking about the FCS, represented very heavily in the uh, bracket here. Six teams from the Missouri Valley. Out of 16 total. Out of 16 total. And there is a potential for an all-Missouri Valley Final Four in the the, the FCS playoffs. I I know the FBS has requirements for stadium size to to be admitted into the FBS. I'm going to go ahead and say this. If we get an all- Missouri Valley Conference Final Four. We just need to bring that entire conference up as we're kicking out Conference USA. <laughs> In a perfect world, I think that's what would happen. Like I feel like that's just it. It's perfect, man. Let's move on to our players to watch, though. Of course, I took a player from the Oklahoma Texas Tech game, Oklahoma State rather Texas Tech game. I took Kobe Harvell Peel, a safety, a guy we've talked about plenty on this podcast. He had two tackles and a sack. And the craziest part to me is that it didn't feel like Texas Tech was game planning around him. It just felt like he was forcing the game, right? The front seven had a great game. They were forcing the quarterback into bad situations, got five sacks on their own there. There's no way Texas Tech could win that one. And when you got a guy like Kobe Hogvale Peel in the secondary, that makes it about ten times harder. I'm going to go ahead and take Doug's here because he gave us a lot of notes on this one, and I really don't think I can do it justice without just reading Doug's notes. Um, Ben, my comment on Colby Harvell Peel is you're right, man. He needs to be an offensive coordinator's game plans because you can't ignore him because if you try to ignore him, you know what? He dictates the game, and that's not where you want to be if you're on offense. Um, But for Doug here, he was watching C.J. Stroud – And I'm just going to read you his notes that he left us because this is absolutely fantastic. Six touchdowns in the first half alone against the number seven team in the nation. If this man does not win the Heisman Trophy, we will riot in the streets. C.J. Stroud broke the school record for consecutive completions with 17. In total went 32 for 35 for 432 yards, six touchdowns, Zero interceptions, 
And guys, let's be honest here. He played two quarters plus one drive. That is absolutely insane for a stat line. This man was on pace for 864 yards. Like, just... Against the number seven team in the country. Exactly. Against a Big Ten defense, which I don't care what anyone says, is actually a really good defense to typically play against. Really tough defense to play against. Yeah. I was watching Travis Dye, and Travis Dye here kind of got put on the back burner at the beginning of the game. Um, So he went six carries for 29 yards. When I say he got put on the back burner, Oregon got down early in the game, which put them in a negative game script, trying to come back quick. So they threw the ball a lot, which is not really what Oregon does. They don't do that well. That's ultimately ultimately what cost them the game. Uh, man, you, you do have to stick to your game. I understand the negative game script throwing a little bit more, but that was just a little too much uh, selling out the run game for, for the pass game there. So here, here's a question I'm going to pose to you, Ben. Uh, Doug actually posed it to us, but I'm going to pose it to you first. Is this a classic burn-the-tape type of game? Or is this actually going to raise some serious questions about Mario Cristobal and the Oregon offensive play callers? I think you just got to burn the tape. This was not a good game from the get-go. And when you get forced into a situation where you have to punt at the end of the half – and he gets taken to the house. I don't think you can really put that on the head coach. That's just something that kind of happens in football from time to time, and it's unfortunate. It put them in a bad spot, but I don't think by any means uh, you got you can put this on Mario Cristobal completely. It's fair enough. I think that's all we have for college. You got anything else, Dad? I do not. All right, let's uh, let's push on down to the NFL. Let's do it. That was college, though. It's time for some NFL reviews here. And we picked some uh, some interesting games that ended up not being as good as uh, as I think we would have hoped they would. Well, yours was pretty good. My game was amazing, actually. It was the Washington football team traveling to Carolina, Riverboat Ron Rivera returning to Carolina the same week that Cam Newton returned to Carolina, except, you know, he was actually playing for the Panthers. Cam looked great. He's still got it. He's got at least two more years in him, I think. I I said this last week. His time off, I think, gave him a new perspective, really reinvigorated him for the game. And Chris McCaffrey was also back. He had a great game as well. Carolina was leading this in the first half, and going into halftime, I don't know what was said in that locker room, but uh, Washington's just a more complete team. Antonio Gibson comes out into the second half, Helped his team establish the run game, and what do you know? That opened up the pass. Washington wins this one 27-21, and it's worth noting, too. Hats off to the Carolina fans. They're pumped, hyped to see their guy Cam Newton back in town. They're also very excited to see Ron Rivera back in town. He got a standing ovation at the start of the game. And, man, just classy move by the uh, Carolina faithful there. No, it absolutely was. And and this – Honestly, was the most entertaining game to watch out of our picks here. Uh, Doug went with Dallas traveling to Kansas City. Kansas City pulls it out 19-9. Honestly, this really was a sloppy game by both teams. Um, Really was not that fun to enjoy. We've already talked about that penalty, which I think soured the mood for everybody about this game. 
Um, and then you got two of the top quarterbacks in the league just not playing well oh, for dude, whatever that, reason. I, I cannot figure it out with Patrick Mahomes this year, dude. It's brutal. I have him on my fantasy team, but it's at the point where I'm afraid not to start him because I know the second I don't start him is the second he's going to go put up 50 points in a game. Um, my game – oh, go ahead. I, I will say, though, if you're a Dallas fan – Two of their losses are to the two teams that were in the Super Bowl last year. The third one being to the Broncos, who just had a random good week. Look, they've got a very manageable schedule. I don't think you need to be worried about the Dallas Cowboys unless you're really that concerned with what the Eagles have been doing, which I think is valid. No, that's fair. Um, My game, the score is a lot closer than I think that game should have been. And a lot of that is in part because Kyler Murray is out. So I want the Cardinals traveling to Seattle take on the Seahawks. Cardinals pull this one out with Colt McCoy, uh, 23-13. And again, this felt like a very sloppy game. No one was really firing on all cylinders. Um, I don't know what's going on in Seattle right now, but, man, their receivers just are not there. They still don't have that run game going for them with Chris Carson just now coming back from an injury. Um it's a rough year for Seattle. Uh, and, man, it's it's going to start opening the question with Pete Carroll getting up there in age. Is it is it about that time to move on from him? It's It's got to be lingering. you got to yeah. be thinking about it. And I think the Saints have got to be looking at it too. Really, if you weren't watching a primetime game or the Packers-Vikings, you did not have fun watching the NFL this week. Look, the only reason you had fun watching the Packers-Vikings is because the Vikings won in the last-second field goal. Well, I mean, to that point, it was 34-31. That's a great game, right? You can't really just, dump on, dunk on it too hard, right? Just saying, you enjoyed it because the Packers lost and somehow the Vikings won on the last-second field goal. Like, every storyline ever in the NFL was broken right there. Let's go to our picks. Let's just go to our picks. <laughs> I took the Panthers, Dallas, and Arizona, so obviously I didn't have the best week here. I went one and two. Uh, you also took the Panthers, Dallas, and Arizona, and also went one and two. And Doug, being a contrarian, worked out for him for once. He went two and one, taking Washington, Kansas City, and the Seahawks. That moves me to twenty-one and twelve. Doug is at fifteen and eighteen. He's right on your tail. You're at eighteen and fifteen. He's still a week behind. I have at least a week of comfort. Eh, don't fuck this week I said up. a week of comfort. <laughs> uh, bonus game we had highlighted last week uh, was the Ravens and Bears. We already talked about kind of the shit show that was, so no need to really talk about it anymore. Players to watch, though. I picked Derek Carr because a lot of Raiders fans see Derek Carr as the end-all, be-all. He's had something like 77 fumbles in his four seasons with the Raiders. Like, some ungodly number. It is insane. Jesus. And he's lost around 30 of them. This is all off the top of my head. So, if you want to correct me, please hit us up on BD, at BDTFootball.com uh, or at BDTFootball on Twitter. Like, please let us know. But, man, like, it, it's it's egregious. and It really is. Uh, as I mentioned last week, Phil Jones, who I've done the NFL carousel with, he does the unfiltered truth, uh, talking about the Raiders on his show. He's been saying for a little bit, he's starting to beat that drum a little bit louder. Maybe it's time to bench Derek Carr. Maybe this is where the problem is because the midseason collapse is in full form for the Raiders. Derek Carr going 19 of 27. 
215 yards, a touchdown, and an INT. He's taking responsibility for the Raiders' troubles, though. So, uh, good on him there, but I don't know that you can put all this on him because the defense is not looking well right now either. I'm going to go one step further, right? So, Derek Carr is an obscene amount of fumbles. Whatever the number is, he has an obscene amount of fumbles. We can all agree on that. So, here's my question to you. When quarterbacks fumble the ball, how do they usually fumble it? Straight down. Strip sack from behind, right? Mm-hmm. Is that on the quarterback? I mean, you could always say, hey, he needs to Derek Carr the is fumbling a lot as he's scrambling outside the pocket, though. Well, then maybe he shouldn't be scrambling, right? Like, I, I, I need to see all of these fumbles to see exactly how he's fumbling. But if he's getting the ball swatted out of his hand as it's high-hatted up there, that's not on him. Like, yeah, he could get rid of the ball quicker. But a lot of that's going to come on the offensive line for me. You and I know that that drum way too well. We've both beaten it way too much ourselves with our teams. But that's that's one thing. When I'm looking at quarterback fumbles, that's where I'm looking is where are they being caused. Absolutely. Doug had Dak Prescott, 216 yards, no touchdowns, two INTs. At least one of those came in the end zone. I, man, this is... It's crazy that he throws 216 yards and didn't even get a single touchdown. Like at least Derek Carr got one. Like he, had, you know, went one and one there. Again, this was a this was a struggle for both quarterbacks in this game, and neither defense is that good. Well, the Tre'Davious White is the or uh, sorry, Trayvon Diggs. Trayvon Diggs is the Cowboys' defense, and he is good. But neither defense really this year has been known for stellar play. I mean, Michael Parsons is putting on a great season as well. Yeah. I definitely would give the edge to the uh, the Cowboys' defense here. But worth noting, Amari Cooper was out in this game. CeeDee Lamb didn't look great. Michael Gallup didn't touch the ball. It's it just something wasn't right. It seemed like they couldn't get separation, and all we've been hearing about all year is how bad the Chiefs' secondary, secondary has is. been. Somehow they found it this week and were able to contain Dak the way they were. It, it, it's a rough look. Tug, you had Cam Newton. Part of me wants to say Cam Newton's back because he's given us vintage Cam Newton stats. Now, this stat line is not very sexy. It's not going to be eye-popping. What is eye-popping is that he completed 21 of his 27 pass attempts, uh, but he does that in Cam Newton fashion, and that's nothing, not a knock against him. That's really saying how good of a game plan this is for Cam Newton. Uh... So he went 21 for 27 for 189 yards. So you're, you're looking at about, what's that, just under 60 or uh, 6 yards per attempt, uh, give or take. That's not NFL MVP worthy like, like he was back in the day, uh, but he protects the ball, and that's what he did. So he went 21 for 27, 189 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, also carried the ball 10 times for 46 yards, added another score. Uh, so he did everything he could to help the Panthers win. Uh, their defense just could not hold them in the end. Game went to Washington, but damn, Cam Newton is not the reason this team lost. Absolutely not. And I think the Panthers can maybe turn it around. They're not in a horrible, horrible spot. But, man, they 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 definitely made the wrong decision trading for Sam Darnold. So – the, the Panthers right now are in a tough spot, and they're in a tough spot for much the same reason why, you know, three weeks ago Miami was in a tough spot. When you get on a losing streak like this, the toughest thing to do is to get that next win. 
ending it is the hardest thing about a losing streak. Um, and then sure enough, once you do, it seems like the wins come easier. Uh, but they need to find a way to get that find a way to get that first win before they can look forward to the next ones. They killed the Cardinals last week. Oh, wow. <laughs> I I thought they were. I know they've they've had a massive skid here. They, they had a they had a four game losing streak. Yeah. Uh, earlier in the season, but okay. So I mixed up the Panthers schedule because I don't pay attention to just them. I'm sorry. Yeah, I. Look, I think the Panthers are on the right track. I definitely think Cam Newton is a, a shot in the arm that they needed. Yes. And uh, I'm I'm interested to see how the rest of the season goes for him. I really think they can build something here. I do too. All right. So if you read the title of this episode, you've heard us, seen us, being so excited about what we did this week for our listeners here. You know, we've been looking for the uh, the best Heisman Trophy winner of all time. We've been going through our bracket time doing that, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But before we do, we got to interview a living legend, retired Brigadier General Pete Dawkins, our 1958 Heisman Trophy winner out of West Point. And before we get into this interview, I do want to say we had a small technical difficulty here. Uh, we did the best we could to uh, save everything. Doug was recording the interview here and his computer completely crashed on him we were able to get him back he joined us uh, for the entire interview except for that portion where uh, his computer cut out and it's going to be kind of obvious we did our best to make it not so obvious but this is what we got so we hope you guys enjoy listening from general dawkins here we had an amazing time interviewing him and uh without further ado here we go Ladies and gentlemen, the big dudes in the trenches are joined today by a very special guest. It has been literally physically painful to keep this one under wraps. I've been very excited about this one and one I've been looking forward to so much since we heard it was going to happen. So I'm going to introduce to you now retired Brigadier General in the United States Army. And I just got to say, I'm starting the introduction with that one. You know, he's had a great career. He's also a Rhodes Scholar from Oxford, a doctor from Princeton, a successful businessman, a former candidate for senator, and former halfback wearing number 24 for the West Point Black Knights, winner of the 1958 Heisman Trophy. Let's give it up for Pete Dawkins. Thank you so much, General, for joining us today. Well, Ryan, it's my pleasure, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. You can see the Heisman in the background here. Um, yes, sir. I just wanted to put it there to, to um, keep company uh, with me. Uh, but I'm, uh, really delighted to have been asked to have this conversation and looking forward to it. So our main focus is all just all about football. We all three played football ourselves along the offensive line at some point. So having, getting to talk to a running back here, it's one of our specialties, you know? <laughs> so when did you really start playing football? How did you get into it? Well, I, it was in uh, really high school, uh, I did play in junior high school, but it was a very, uh, you know, weak program. Uh, but uh, I went to a private school in Michigan, Cranbrook, and my coach there, Fred Campbell, for reasons that I'm not sure I ever fully understood, uh, he took me under my his wing, and uh, he was a a Marine had been a company commander on Iwo Jima uh, and was a wow. really 
tough guy. And uh, we learned all of us uh, an awful lot from from him. And and he really did kind of ignite the fire, if you would, in my belly and desire to be uh, to really develop the well, all the skills and attitude issues that you need uh, to play competitive football. Incredible. So I personally went to the University of Memphis, but I did apply to the Air Force Academy. I did ROTC uh, at Memphis as well. John and Doug both went to the academy. Would you say that your junior high coach was really what inspired you to go to West Point or was it something else that want, made you want to go to West Point, join the Army and all that? No, it was really it was really him. I'll tell you two quick stories. Uh, one was how I got identified with and and uh, connected to West Point, and the other was um, had nothing to do with football because the the way I was admitted to West Point was as a hockey player, ice hockey player, um, and what had uh, what had inspired me, if you will, in the summer before my senior year in high school, uh, the coach, Fred Campbell, showed up at my uh, parents' home, and my mother was there, and he said to her, pack Pete a bag, I'm taking him to West Point. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that, that I'm pretty confident wouldn't happen in this day and age. Uh, but she packed a bag and we jumped in the car and drove across Windsor, Ontario, uh, up to Niagara Falls and down to, to West Point. Uh, it took us two days and we showed up. Red Blake was the coach and athletic director. And we showed up and said, uh, my coach did, said to the receptionist, um, we're here, I'm here with Pete Dawkins and we're here to see coach Blake. She looked at her, her uh, calendar and she said, well, do you have an appointment? I don't see your name here. He said, no, we don't have an appointment. And she said, well, if you don't have an appointment, you don't see coach Blake. And, uh, very nonchalantly, he said, uh, oh, that's okay. And there was a brown leather sofa about five feet away. And he told me to go with him and sit down on it. And uh, we, so we sat there for about 20 minutes and she came over again and said, listen, I just want to make sure you understand that you are not going to see coach Blake unless you have an appointment. And he said, uh, oh, that's okay. We'll just wait. Uh, I thought he was completely crazy. And we sat on that sofa for an hour and word began to buzz around that there was these crazy folks from Michigan sitting on the sofa uh, trying to get to see Coach Blake when they didn't have a, uh, an appointment. And, uh, but dumb like a fox, we sat on that sofa for about maybe almost two hours. People began to hear about it. They would come peeking at us and sure enough, uh, word finally got to coach Blake and he got intrigued with it and he came over and we had a lovely, uh, spirited conversation for about three minutes. Uh, I handed him a reel of 16 millimeter film, uh, of my, uh, last season. 
and uh, and so and he was very gracious and very. Uh, I was really impressed, and and that was it. I, I was hooked. Then we spent the rest of the day looking at the military academy, and from that moment on, I was I was determined that I was going to go to West Point. So obviously, you know, the field at West Point now is named for Coach Blake. What was it like playing for him? Obviously, your first interaction with him sounds like it was just pure grit and determination to finally get a meeting with him. What was it like once you finally started playing for him? Well, that same spirit prevailed. Um, I was I was a quarterback uh, running me. And uh, uh, and I'd return it and they I'd get creamed. There was 11 guys coming down to tackle me. Uh, and the coaches, as we had towers up with, uh, we were filming the practice and the coaches said, God, that was terrific. Let's do it again. Uh, and so the 11 guys tumbled down the field again and creamed me. And I, at that moment, uh, I was not having a good time, but, uh, and this, this is the honest truth. I, I, at that moment decided that if my role in cadet life was to return punts for the punt coverage team. I was going to do it better than anybody had ever done it before. So uh, I got with that, you know, kind of uh, incandescent spirit in my mind. Um, I, they punted it to me and I ran it back. Uh, and the coach was Blake was incensed uh, that, uh, and, and, and angry at the punt coverage team that they'd let this one, you know, fifth string runner get through them. And so they, they belabored at them and, uh, did it again. And I ran it again. And I learned later on that he leaned over to the, uh, to the offensive coordinator and said, you know, maybe just maybe we can make a runner out of this kid. And, uh, and that was the beginning. I can say, sir, fantastic story. I love that. Unfortunately, my alma mater was a brand new school. By the time uh, you were, you were coming through West point there, uh, air force had just kicked up a football team. I don't think you guys ever got to play air force, but you still had that. No, we did not. Run but you still had that rivalry with Navy. What was the most fun thing you were looking forward to with that Navy game? What, what impact did that have on your seasons every year? Well, of course the, uh, the army Navy game and now, you know, army air force and Navy. Uh, but in that era, army Navy was the, you know, the, the apex of, uh, of our season with no question whatsoever. And um, we came into my senior year uh, to the Army-Navy game, the last game of the season, uh, undefeated. And um, so we were, we, we had a lot riding on, on that game. And uh, we, just before the kickoff, Coach Blake called me over and uh, we had two deep potential receivers for the reception team uh, Navy was kicking off. And uh, he said to me something that you should never say to a ball player. He, he said, uh, 
uh, Dawkins, he always called us by our last name. He said, Dawkins, I think they're going to kick to you. Whatever you do, don't fumble. And with that image uh, in my mind, I went out on the field. And I said, one thing I'm not going to do, I'm not going to fumble. So uh, the whistle blew, the kicked off, it came to me. Everything took formation exactly the way we had it planned. And um, I, I broke to the sharply to the left. And my one of my best players, Bill, Bill Rao came across my the face of my uh, the ball, hit the ball, knocked it about 15 feet in the air. It came down and Navy recovered. Uh -huh. So, so much for the gallant beginning of my final game of football at West Point. In fact, in those days, we played both ways. And I stayed on the far side of the, where the coaches were for most of the first quarter, <laughs> never looking at them uh, for fear uh, that it was going to discombobulate my, uh, my whole game. But ultimately we got it pulled together and, uh, and ended up undefeated. Yeah. I'd, really incredible. I definitely know that feeling too, yeah. from more than just football, but yeah, you were, you mentioned army goes undefeated. That's the only time. It's definitely the last time that happened. And you're also the last cadet. There's been a couple midshipmen that have won Heisman since, since you won it in 1958, you're the last cadet to win the Heisman trophy. What does all of that really mean to you looking back on your football career? Well, in, uh, in so many ways, um, uh, the Heisman is the, uh, uh, the highest, um, I think fairly said highest accolade, uh, of, um, college football. Uh, and it's, uh, remarkable in the sense that, um, there are, uh, you know, all-star teams and, Pro Bowl teams and whatnot, and we have, you know, I have a a, a, a ring, a, a West Point ring, uh, but the uh, Heisman, they they only have one of these, one of them every year, and the Heisman ring that you get, which they also have. Um, distinctively done is they only make one of them because it has the crest of the team on one side and then the uh, uh, all-american crest on the other side so uh, so it's well i got a phone call when in in the old days you did it wasn't done with a lot of uh uh ceremony but i literally got a telephone call when i was a cadet at west point uh and uh the one of the people from the heisman trust i don't even remember who it was said hi and and chatted for like maybe two minutes and said that i had been selected uh for that year's heisman and um uh you know, it, it, it was one of those 
moments where somewhere in the back of your mind, um, you were thinking about very hopefully that it might be a possibility, but you never let yourself, one of the great things about the spirit at West Point, they never let yourself be convinced that you were gonna be successful. Uh, and uh, uh, so when, when this occurred and when I realized that, uh, I guess I was struck by the fact that football is a team sport. Uh, I certainly wasn't the singularly responsible for the success of the team. Uh, it was all of us together uh, with some really uh, competitive games, uh, particularly Notre Dame, uh, where we had to come from behind. Uh, that the what what that Heisman was all about wasn't about Pete Dawkins. What that Heisman was about was about the 1958 undefeated Army team, uh, and uh, uh, they all deserved the credit. So I agree. It's definitely an accomplishment for the entire team. But, you know, you are the Heisman Trophy winner. And as such, you had some special moments in that season as well. Do you have anything that stood out in your mind as maybe your favorite moment from that season or one of the biggest accomplishments that you had during that season? Well, I, I, would, I wouldn't pick out this as an accomplishment, but when we went into that season, we had probably – 20 athletes uh, and we were, and, and by the way, our line was decidedly smaller than any of the first rate college offensive lines. So we had a challenge uh, going into the season and Blake was a strip was, was a real strategist and, and he was a dear friend of Douglas MacArthur, General MacArthur. Uh, and General MacArthur was living at the Waldorf Towers in New York City then, and he would frequently come to West Point uh, unannounced and uh, come to practice. Um, and uh, I, I can remember one time, uh, I didn't realize it, but MacArthur had come up and he was on the sidelines at a practice, and I had, I had screwed up my assignment horribly and um, a trio of coaches were haranguing me uh, and uh, I took my helmet off and threw it on the ground and looked to my right and there's Douglas MacArthur uh, and uh, I, I, I had met him a number of times by then um, because I was first captain and, and he had come up and been a uh, and gave a famous speech there. Uh, and so I was really embarrassed. Uh, and he looked at me with a wry smile and said, shitty, isn't it? And uh, <laughs> that, kind of, that kind of broke the ice. Uh, but the lonesome end was, was the dominant and most significant factor in the, I think, sex of that, success of that 1958 team because it was MacArthur who was in 
in, in talking with coach Blake over and over again, how, how, how are they going to make a successful season out of this team? Uh, he was the one who came up with the idea of the lonesome end. Now the basic of that was Bill Carpenter was the best receiver in the nation. And so what MacArthur had said, why don't you take Carpenter and move him 30 yards away from the huddle? And, uh, if they tried to cover him man for man, we'll throw the ball to him every play for the entire game because he was confident that no one could cover Bill Carpenter man for man one-on-one. So they'd had to cover him by the man and a half. And what that did was gave us a half a man advantage on the other side of the field away from where Carpenter was. And, um, so we also split the linemen out because they were undersized, but they were very good athletes. And so they did a lot of angle blocking, uh, which was, uh, which took away the advantage that the defensive team had, um, of the size of minimizing the size of the, uh, of the offensive line. Uh, and, uh, so what, what did I remember? What I remembered was that, um, on that, we were playing, uh, South Carolina, who was very highly touted that year. Um, I scored four touchdowns and, uh, in a runaway, uh, victory over a really good Carolina team. Uh, and that kind of started it all off. That's outstanding, sir. Uh, and, and just to build off that, you mentioned back in that day, uh, the lines were undersized. They still are to this day, which is why we start still see a lot of the uh, concepts that the West Point Navy teams of the 1950s kind of developed and perfected on that triple option offense. What is your current opinion on the state of, you know, service academy football across the board, Army, Navy, Air Force? Uh, and then as, as a follow-up question to that, there's been a lot more push recently from uh, either current cadets or former cadets that are allowing them to kind of forego their commitment to the, to the services uh, to go play professional ball. What is your opinion on that? Well, I, I'm, I probably am not in the majority on this topic, but um, I, I, I don't think there's a, anything wrong if a college football player, West Point football player, is good enough to get picked by an NFL team, I see nothing wrong whatsoever in them having the opportunity to, to try to make it work for them. For two reasons. Reason number one is they're going to be a tiny, tiny fraction of players that ever are going to be good enough and to get uh, picked for an NFL team. Uh, and beyond that, if they are picked, the likelihood of them ending up being a star uh, is minimal as well. Uh, and they have a program where in the summer times, uh, the, if, if you are selected and you choose to, to go into uh, one of the NFL teams, 
uh, in the summer, you have to do, you know, a Camp Buckner, out uh, tactical military stuff. And uh, so, you know, there's, it, there's a lot of noise about, and people grumpy uh, about somebody who um, played on the Army team and then was picked to, to go to the pros and chose to do so. Uh, but I, I think that noise is misplaced, and uh, and and I'm I'm a big supporter of if they can if they can make that go, uh, God bless. Sir, did you ever consider going to the NFL yourself? Well, um, I, I considered it. I, I you know, and I was drafted by the Baltimore Colts. Uh, who were the number one team in the NFL that year. Um, but it was very simple, really, because I had been selected for a Rhodes Scholarship. Uh, and that was going to be three years, as it turned out, at Oxford. Uh, and then I would have three years of uh, obligated service after that. Uh, and I really just had to make up my mind. And I wanted to go to Oxford. And I just um, uh, wasn't wasn't uh, it, it wasn't going to be in the cards. First of all, second of all, the money that was available uh, to NFL players in those years was minimal. Uh, I mean, I think it would have been a much tougher decision for me if I was, you know, had two or three or four million dollar contract. <laughs> or $10 million contract, whatever they're doing now, right. um, uh, then it would be a much tougher decision, but it wasn't hard. And I was, uh, and I, I'm really uh, thankful that it went the way it did. And that I had that experience at Oxford. So let's build on Oxford then. I know you played rugby there. So a total of football, rugby, uh, hockey, you mentioned before, I know you played baseball as well. Was there one sport in particular that you think impacted your life the most, or was it just the collective? Would you recommend people getting as many sports as they can? Well, uh, it's not actually exactly the question you ask, but uh, the, the, the sport that I enjoyed the most, I have to admit, was ice hockey. Uh, and one of the reasons uh, that I liked it was that, uh, it practice for the other sports involved massive amounts of, of, uh, structured skill practices and, uh, and development and hockey, at least as the Jack Riley ran it, when he was the coach there, uh, you did certain uh, skill development practice things, but minimally so. What you really did was you scrimmaged. And so you'd, you'd uh, uh, get your skates on and warm up and then you'd scrimmage. And that was what you did for the season. Uh, and and, that, uh, and that, that was a very delightful uh, uh, exercise and, and a way of uh, of being a, a, a competitive, competitive athlete. Um, so that was, was, uh, uh, made it just really enjoyable. Uh, and, um, uh, 
and I was a defenseman. I was an assistant captain defenseman. And, uh, I was pretty good sized by, by that time I was, I started the senior year of, of my college season at about 220, which was decent size for a running back, uh, in those days. Uh, and, um, uh, and so the, the, the one problem I had was that the, the army Navy game was uh, you know, it was over on Saturday afternoon. Um, Sunday uh, was a day off and Monday I showed up for hockey practice. Uh, and the season had already started. They played six or eight games. And, um, and every year uh, that, that at West Point, I pulled a groin muscle within 24 hours after starting hockey practice uh, because the skating motion is entirely different than the running motion. So what I mostly remember about my hockey season was the fact that I was nursing a pulled groin muscle uh, that just don't want to heal. Yeah. Uh, all that season, for four years, uh, memorable indeed. I remember playing in high school, going from football to basketball and just going from playing for about seven seconds at a time to running up and down the court. I can, I can totally relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we do have one last question for you here. And it all kind of revolves around how this interview kind of came together. We've been doing a Heisman bracket, looking at all the Heisman Trophy winners from the very first one up into last year and we want your opinion who do you think is the best ever heisman winner i'm gonna dodge that question (laughs) Uh, it's like it's like asking which one of your kids do you love the best uh there you know now uh when i had had uh won the heisman uh there weren't that many former Heisman winners uh, that existed. But in the 30 years after that, there's any number of them. And it's a wonderful fraternity. Uh, And you get to know uh, your fellow Heisman winners, uh, their their wives, uh, their kids. uh, And it is a, uh, it's a, it's a very special fraternity. Uh, and uh, I think every one of us uh, who had the good fortune have had the good fortune uh, to become a former Heisman winner, uh, the cherish that, and um, uh, and it's one of the very proudest uh, achievements uh, I think of most of our lives. Wow! Thank you very much, General, for joining us. Fantastic interview. Uh, great to hear from you. Is there anything you wanted to plug for us? Any any shout outs you had for us? No, I think I think that I think that should do it. I really okay. appreciated uh, the opportunity to talk with you. Uh, I love your um, big dudes uh, <laughs> title. I think it's a it's a suited suited and very apt one. 
uh, and uh, I wish you the best of luck uh, in your series and in the programs going forward. All the best. God bless. You too, too. General. Thank Thank you so much, General. You too. So that was General Pete Dawkins, 1958 Heisman Trophy winner. Man, that was uh, definitely probably a highlight of doing this show here and uh a great time to have it too number episode number 100 coming up on the end of our greatest heisman trophy winner bracket here i know obviously he doesn't want to pick a best but we're not general dawkins so (laughs) we've got to continue on with bracket time no matchups this uh this episode but we do have them coming up later on in the week make sure you go to our twitter at BDT football to vote. Only four matchups this week. We're getting very close to the end here. First matchup, we got two quarterbacks, Marcus Mariota going up against Tim Tebow, followed by Baker Mayfield going up against Charles White. And then uh, this is a very appropriate one, very big one here. Oh, my, oh, my. Troy Smith going up against Desmond Howard. And then we're going to finish it off with a running back battle, Ricky Williams going up against Barry Sanders. These are going to be uh, some interesting conversations. Polls have been up for a little bit already, and I'm a little surprised with how the results are turning out, but still plenty of time left to vote as you're hearing this. Please, please, please head on over to Twitter and uh, make your voice heard. We probably will agree with you, but we're, of course, still going to talk about it on our next episode here, so don't miss your chance to vote here. Tug, you're going to have it up on uh, Instagram as well, right? Yeah, I'm going to get those up tomorrow, and then uh, hopefully we can work those results the right way this time and uh, make sure that we actually can include them properly in our bracket time assessment. And guys, I just want to say that we we found this interview so big uh, to you guys here uh, to even just hear that Doug took time out of his his time with his family uh, to make sure he came on specifically for that interview. That's why he was there uh, in that cut. Uh, ben, do you, do you have a Snapple fact for us, sir? Uh, I I do not. I, I do want to say though the the one piece that did get cut out of the Dawkins interview. Uh, he was talking about you know he was a quarterback and that. He had a few things going against him, mainly that he's a lefty. And, and he was a running quarterback And at the he time. was a running quarterback. Very, very unpopular. Very uh, new style at the time there. Uh, so, you know, you didn't miss much. We were able to, to get it and salvage most of the interview, uh, fortunately there. Technical difficulties, man. They will always, always get you if you're not careful. Facts. Uh I do want to say, though, before we leave, Tug, you've got some links for us to shout out here. We've already talked about a few of them. Yeah, so you've got our Patreon.com slash BDTFootball, Twitter.com slash BDTFootball, Facebook.com slash BDTFootball, Instagram.com slash BDT underscore football, just to throw a little twist in there for you guys. Uh, Website is bdtfootball.com and you can always email us at mailbox at bdtfootball.com hey man big week big show thank you all for joining us and this is your first time we'd love for you guys to keep coming back we love talking about football and uh i think that's about it for our show this you know this time around we'll be back later in the week and it's going to be 
especially with rivalry weekend, going to be a very big week coming up here uh, later in the week here. It is, it is. And from one co-host to the other two, because Doug, I know you're listening here in the background, I just want to say happy episode 100, boys. Uh, it took us some work. I'm glad we're still doing it. I'm glad we have enough fans out there that are listening to us and make make this worth it every day for us. Uh, but that being said, I'm going to leave us off the way we left us off the first time. Just remember, you can't win a game.